Extraordinary Moms podcast. I'm Jessica Dahlquist, your host, and every week I interview a different mom who shares their motherhood journey and the lessons they've learned along the way. If I've learned anything from interviewing such a wide range of moms, it's that no two moms parent in the same way. We should celebrate that and learn from one another. Thank you so much for tuning into the podcast today, and if you like what you hear, please share the show with a friend. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 290 of the podcast. It's Jessica. I am so glad you're here. I hope today will be very informative and inspiring to you as my guest today is Dr. Kristen Race. She's a self-described brain geek and she spent over 12 years exploring the nexus between mindfulness and neuroscience. Mindfulness is kind of a buzzword right now, but to know the science actually backs up the practice of mindfulness gets me to buy in even more. She's the author of Mindful Parenting and the founder of Mindful Life. She's the head of the mindfulness at Salvasa, which is a pioneer in integrative beauty, and she's been featured a lot of places, and she even mentors people like Sheryl Sandberg and Sarah Blakely, all about mindfulness. And today we're talking about how we can not only help ourselves to be more mindful, but also help our kids and how we can become a mindful family. I love this topic so much, and I learned a great deal about this, and it makes me really inspired to incorporate this more in my home, and I know it will have really positive impacts on myself and my kids, so I hope you really enjoy this conversation with Kristen Race. All right, I'm so excited to be chatting with Dr. Kristen Race today. Hi, Kristen. Hi, how are you, Jessica? Thanks for having me. My pleasure. Where am I speaking to you from today? I live in Steamboat Springs, Colorado. Oh, that sounds very dreamy, like a Hallmark movie. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, at times it is. At times it is. Right now we're in the mud season, so just coming into winter. Okay, okay. So no, not quite so picturesque right this second, but once it's all snow covered, it'll be just gorgeous. Are you from Colorado? Yes, I'm actually a Denver, I'm a Colorado native. There aren't many of us, but I was born in Denver. Yeah, it seems like a very popular place for people to to head to. I have a couple of friends, I'm from Southern California, but a couple of friends have ended up in Colorado. Yeah, it's growing like crazy. It's a nice place to live. Great quality of life. That's awesome. Well, I am so excited to be chatting with you today. You have done extensive research on a very interesting and timely topic right now. It feels like there's a lot more conversation around mindfulness and being more present and everything. And I love this movement, but your background, pairing it with neuroscience and kind of the why all that works that's just so fascinating to me. So for people that don't know you yet, will you just give a little background on yourself and your family? Sure. So I, like I said, I'm a Colorado native. I uh, have two kids now. I guess they're not really kids anymore. Teenagers. Wow. uh, 16 year old daughter, a 14 year old son, uh, married to my husband, Kenny. We have a beautiful Bernese mountain dog named Mowgli, and we love living in the mountains of Colorado. Oh, I love that so much. So my oldest is nine and a half right now, so we have not gotten to the teenage years yet, but I'm curious for you, as you've seen your parenting evolve and your kids growing, now that you can look back onto your younger years of parenting, what would you say are the fundamental things that a young parent should focus on as they're wanting to cultivate good relationships with their soon-to-be teenagers and grown children and 
what are kind of the things you've learned along your parenting journey? Maybe things that you would have done differently or just things that, that you would advise for other people? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, I think uh, the first thing that comes to mind when I reflect on my parenting when my kids were really young, um, you know, kind of in the thick of it with newborn and toddlers is I was so incredibly hard on myself and uh, really caught up in doing it perfectly. (laughs) And coming back to even, you know, when I just, when I first became a parent and my first child was born and I really struggled with breastfeeding and I didn't, didn't make enough milk and she was losing weight and I felt like such a failure over something I really had no control over. And I look at those first few years and it was all about just, you know, making everything perfect and and just right. And I really, I feel like I lost myself in that and didn't do a good job of taking care of myself during those years. And it's hard because it's the first, um, you know, it's, you, you know, it's your most important job and you want to put everything you have into it. But to look back and know that there's bumps along the way and there's all kids are going to go through different phases and times when they're going to be difficult and one might be difficult for a little while and then they start doing better and then an issue uh, raises up with the other one. And just knowing that it's all temporary, uh, you know, if you have a a feisty four-year-old, that doesn't mean you're, that he's going to be a jerk when he's 40 years old, you know, it's, um, it's all part of the process and they work in and out of these phases. And I think just to do your best to stay connected to them throughout is probably my biggest, my biggest lesson learned. Yeah. And isn't it just so interesting how hard we are on ourselves? Like we give our kids so much credit for when they're trying something and they're learning and we celebrate their process through growing so, so much. And yet when you have a three-year-old, you yourself have only been a parent for three years. Most people are not really good at anything for the first three years, right? right? And and yet we think, I mean, even two weeks into motherhood, you think my kid should be latching. Why am I not producing enough milk? My body's failing me. I'm tired and my house isn't clean. And and it's just like, if you were to step back and observe, yes, you're two weeks into a brand new job you have zero training for and you've never done before. Like, logically, this makes sense why all the dots would not be connecting right away seamlessly. And yet when you're in the thick of it, oh, we've all been there, right? Oh, 100%. And I think for whatever reason we assume that parenting is something we should know how to do. Mm. And it takes, you know, it takes training and time and learning from the people around us and being open and vulnerable and expressing when we're struggling with certain things so that we can get the support of people who have been through this and who have done this. But we think that, oh, you know, it's instinctual and I know how to do all this correctly. But the reality is parenting is also a lot different than it was when we grew up. So Mm -hmm. we have to parent differently than our parents did. So there's a lot that goes into it that I think um, it's just it's really interesting to me how 
you know, we'll go to puppy kindergarten to learn how to train our dog (laughs) or, uh, you know, all of the things we, with the amount of time we spend, um, learning how to drive or things like that. But you're right. We just expect ourselves to be able to do this parenting thing. No problem. Totally. You go to school for four years, become a computer programmer, and yet you don't have any required reading or any anything. I mean, and when I think about the process of going through adoption or foster care or anything like that, there are some very high standards you have to meet in trainings and house yes. visits and everything. But 99% of homes and parents are completely winging it. I think we could require a little more of parents and it would be helpful. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. Well, I love what you said about connection as well. I think the tendency, especially in early motherhood, is to feel like you're doing it alone and and to bring up your insecurities and your struggles with another mom. You're afraid you're just opening yourself up to criticism when really you'd likely find that everyone else is dealing with very similar things to what you are. And when you just realize, okay, it's not just me. Even that can remove a lot of the weight off your shoulders. And what you're talking a lot about too is this mindfulness component. When you are thinking about, I'm never going to be able to potty train my kids. He's going to be the only one in diapers in middle school. Like this, He's going to be the only one, right? We feel that the trepidation of the long game and the negative consequences that will follow them forever when in that moment you just feel like the world's crashing down. But Really, when you're able to bring it back to the now, everything feels a little less consequential, right? So so will you give me a little bit of your background on mindfulness, neuroscience? How did you get into this interest in the brain? Yeah, so I will as concisely <laughs> explain this. So the irony is when I was, um, I had, when my daughter Macy was two, I was pregnant with my son, Charlie. She was not yet two, actually. I was studying the neurology of stress, uh, getting my doctorate degree. And shortly after my son was born, I was diagnosed with an autoimmune disease that was likely triggered by stress. Oh. <laughs> so tell me how that works. <laughs> but I, I attribute that to when, uh, you know, I had a, a 18 month old daughter. I was pregnant with my second child. I was, uh, working full time. I was writing my dissertation in the evenings. Uh, I was remodeling my house just to make it even more interesting. (laughs) And, uh, my body just eventually shut down shortly after Charlie was born. So I had this background knowledge in the neuroscience around stress. I knew I had become really sick and I was pretty certain that it was because of all of the stress that I encountered during my pregnancy. And at the same time, I was working in schools and I was becoming increasingly aware and concerned about the stress level of kids entering kindergarten, even really young kids. And I'd have these kindergarten teachers telling me how this group of kids was the most stressed group of kids that they'd seen over the course of their careers. And as I, I won't, I won't get into all of the details. Um, but the other thing that happened around that time was I decided that, okay, I was going to just get out of this stress pocket. I was going to pack up my family. We were going to move to a small town in the mountains and live this little idyllic leave it to beaver lifestyle and avoid all the stress. Hmm. 
Well, it didn't take long to realize that that is not possible, and you can't avoid all external stressors or, you know, create your life in such a way to put a bubble around your family. It doesn't matter where you live, what you do, what school your kids go to, uh, those external stressors creep in. And what it's really about is building resilience from the inside. And so all of these things were coming together with my health, with what I was seeing in schools, uh, with what I'd experienced from moving from this high pressure job and kind of city environment to this small town. And I started to, what had helped me with my illness a lot was using mindfulness practices um, to strengthen key areas of my brain to offset the, all of the impacts or the effects of stress. So I started doing this with the kid, with kids in schools. I was as a, acting as an educational consultant, and I went into schools and I kind of created these mindfulness practices in a really fun, game-like, developmentally appropriate way. And I started in one school teaching one class, and within a month or two, word had spread from teachers and parents. And I I think it was at the end of one month, I was teaching 70 classes a month all over Northwest Colorado. What? Oh my gosh. Because everyone's craving it. Yes, they're desperate. It was crazy. crazy. And the kids just soaked it up and the teachers loved it because it made their job so much easier because Mm -hmm. all of a sudden they had these kids who could pay attention and solve problems. So we decided that wasn't sustainable. And I started, uh, I formalized the curriculum that I created and did some research on it. And we started training teachers so that the teachers could implement the practice in their classrooms. And then one of the things we discovered once we did research on that was that the teacher stress decreased as they did these practices with their students. Mm. So not only were the students getting the benefits, but we had, much, we had teachers who were far less stressed as well. So that program really just kind of started to grow and spread, and we started training teachers in our schools program all over the country. And then I wrote the book Mindful Parenting, because one of the things that I had come to recognize was that these stressed out kids were a product of stressed out parents. And I called it generation stress, which really meant a generation of stressed parents raising a generation of stressed kids. So the Mindful Parenting book was um, really around kind of explaining the neuroscience of stress to parents, what this stress was doing to their brains and their kids developing brains, and how in really simple ways we can develop tools to build resilience, both for us and for our kids. And that um, led to me going on a book tour, giving talks. Um, I gave a couple of TED Talks during that time. And at the end of these talks, I would have uh, people come up to me and say, hey, can you come speak to my accounting firm or can you come to my law firm? Or, and I just said, you know, that's not what I'm doing right now. But eventually mm. <laughs> I acquiesced and then started going into corporate settings and teaching mindfulness in the workplace courses to help people build resilience in the workplace. And that has kind of led to what one of my current passions is, is working with um, is supporting working moms. So I created a, uh, a, an online coaching community called Amoxie Tribe, kick-ass moms with big-ass jobs, although you don't <laughs> have to have a big-ass job, 
but basically it's around, you know, addressing our wellness one month at a time. We focus on a different topic uh, related to our wellness. We um, have a teaching around that. We have a challenge around how we can improve our wellness in that area. And the beauty of that is kind of what we were talking about before is it's this place for women to come and be really vulnerable about what they're going through Mm. and receive the support, the overwhelming support of all of these other women saying, oh my gosh, I'm right there with you. Or I've been through that same thing. And here's what I've helped. Here's what's helped me. And when I started this community, I had no, you know, I was doing it with the thought if I could support other women, I had no idea how much it would support me in the process just by being part of this group. So that's the very long yet short explanation of how my work has evolved really over the last 12 to 15 years, I would say. Kristen, if you could see, I'm bowing down to you. This, okay, this is just so incredible because to be doing work that you know is literally fundamentally changing people's lives and like you mentioned, generationally changing the trajectory of the modeling that's happening in the home, right? Like, how does that feel to know that your impact has this ripple? Because not everybody does work that is so fundamentally impactful. How does that feel to you? Uh, or do you, do, do you feel that? You. So this is one of the things I struggle with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is, you know, the thing I'm still working on is being able to recognize my own, and, and this is us as women, right? Like, we don't recognize um, our strengths and what we are doing and what we're doing well. And it's so easy to get caught up on what I should be doing and I could be doing more and I, I wish I'd done that better. And that is a work in progress for me. Uh, but every once in a while I have to sit back and one of the things that I've tried to do recently is to, um, to consciously celebrate uh, accomplishments or victories. So I, you know, I told my husband, I started this new partnership recently with a company that I was really excited about. And I said, I want the four of us as a family to go out to dinner and celebrate this because normally you'd get a new contract or you'd start something new. And I would say, okay, that's good. And I would move on to the next thing, but trying to be really conscious about celebrating what we are doing. And for whatever reason, I think in particular for women, that's a hard thing for us to do. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I want to take just one minute to acknowledge you are doing it. You are doing the work and you're doing incredible work. And actually, as you were just saying that response to what I said, I want to take back what I said right before is that not everybody is doing life-changing work. And I don't believe that's true. I don't even know why... You don't have to do, You don't have to create a moxie tribe. You don't have to create a business. You don't have to pursue a doctorate. We all are capable of changing people's lives fundamentally around us, whether it's your kids, your spouse, your neighbor. The work that we do that is intentionally loving, serving, uplifting others can fundamentally change their lives, whether you're dragging in your elderly neighbor's trash cans or whether you're coaching women on a high level. So I'm going to leave in what I said before because I think it's important that even even I, I mean, I have an Extraordinary Moms podcast. These are not perfect women that come on, but I do see the value and uniqueness and contributions of each one of us. And when we believe in those contributions and in those achievements, 
and in our unique talents more, we can do more. And so I love that you're carving out space more concertedly for those accomplishments in your own life. I think that's wonderful. And I think we can all do that no matter what role we have. A hundred percent. Absolutely. I mean, there's not a, when I talk about a moxie tribe and people say, oh, my job's not big enough. I'm not a kick-ass mom. I'm just a mom. And I think if you are a mom, that is extraordinary. Absolutely. What you're doing and um, the amount of work and thought and love and strength that that takes is something to be celebrated and, and something that we often just pass right over. Yeah, and especially the moms that are listening to a podcast like this where they are seeking out resources to to learn, to be inspired by other women. Like these are the moms that are really prioritizing this role and in doing it well. So oh, love that so much. Okay, I want to go back a little bit because I think when we think about stress as an adult – we kind of can identify what that looks like, like what our behaviors might be, the feelings that we would be able to articulate when we are stressed. But I thought that was so interesting how teachers were noting, even in kindergarten, this is the most stressed out group of kids they've ever seen. What does a stressed out kid look like in kindergarten? Because it probably looks a lot different than a stressed out adult. And we may, your child may be stressed, And it may be manifesting in a way where you're not labeling it as such. And so you're kind of treating it differently. So, so what does that look like? Yeah, that's a really good question. So I think to, to get to that answer, let's talk just a little bit about stress in our brain. Okay. And so essentially, um, I speak, speaking very simply, I talk about two parts of our brain. So the first part being our prefrontal cortex, the front part of our brain behind our forehead. And when I'm talking to kids, I call this the smart part of your brain. And this is the part of our brain that helps us pay attention. It helps us solve problems. It helps us think positively. It helps us engage effectively with the people around us. Um, And it helps us to work and to learn efficiently. So it's a very important part of our brain. And then we have what I call the alarm part of our brain in our limbic system in the back. And that's your fight, flight, or freeze part of our brain. And that was designed for survival. So you are walking down the street, you run into a bear, <laughs> you run as fast as you can away from the bear, right? That's mm-hmm. that's the flee part. That was a survival mechanism. The problem that we're seeing is in our busy, hectic, chaotic lives that alarm part of our brain is stimulated constantly throughout the day. And when that part of our brain is stimulated, the prefrontal cortex shuts down. Hmm. So if you think about a crazy morning in your house where you, you know, you wake up, you're out of coffee, you, the dog is thrown up on the floor, the car is out of gas, your son forgets his homework, your daughter won't put her shoes on. The kids are fighting, uh, you know, we've all experienced this, right? Just the yep. uh, trying to get up and out. Yep. Each time there's one of those little stressors, it stimulates a little stress response in the brain. And the more that is stimulated, the more that occurs, the more, the stronger that part of our brain becomes. So it's very easy for uh, um, our child to walk into school with completely stimulated alarm part of our brain prefrontal cortex completely offline. Hmm. 
so if you think about that, think about the prefrontal cortex. That's responsible for solving problems, for paying attention, for impulse control, for making good choices. How can kids progress through their school day and learn efficiently when that part of their brain is completely offline? And often we arrive at work and we have that same, we're in the same boat, right? We're totally stimulated by this alarm part of our brain and our prefrontal cortex isn't working in a way that we can work efficiently, productively, have um, productive meetings with people around us, all of those things. So what that looks like in kids, um, I'll start with kids, is they have difficulty paying attention. They may be angry or impulsive. Um, They may have more of a temper or um, kind of reactions to things that aren't developmentally appropriate. Mm -hmm. So a five-year or a 10-year-old may have a temper tantrum that's more reflective of what you would expect a five-year-old to have. Um, They often don't sleep well at night. And in adults, when we are in that state, um, that alarm state, we also have difficulty paying attention. We feel scattered and overwhelmed. We have more of a temper than we would normally have. We don't sleep well at night. Um, After time, that can lead to wanting to um, zone out into mind-numbing activities like surfing the internet or binge-watching Netflix, self-medicating. And it can lead to chronic health problems if we don't address that chronic stress. So I think for teachers, um, a lot of what it looks like is kids who have difficulty paying attention. They have um, quick, they're quick tempered, uh, more impulsive than normal. So it can easily get mistaken for other learning struggles, Mm -hmm. right? Mm Because it looks a lot like um, ADD or ADHD or some of these other things, uh, when really it could be just that their brain is in that constantly alarmed state. Hmm. Okay, that is so, so fascinating. And I'm so glad we're having this conversation right now because last week my nine and a half year old had an epic tantrum from not sitting in the seat he wanted to in the car. And it Mm -hmm. was proportionate to something I would expect from a four-year-old. I have a four-year-old as well. He can pull it together. at He does well at school. He doesn't doesn't have the same type of of quick-to-anger, rage, anything like that. He does rush through his work a lot. Um, So his scores are not always reflective of what he knows because of the rushing. And when he was younger, he did have some symptoms of ADHD and things like that, never diagnosed, but we kind of did some things – differently as if he did just because a lot of those tactics are really helpful for all children um so I'm wondering I've never ever thought of it in terms of is he feeling stress is this stress induced right and it could be that it had absolutely nothing to do with the car seat oh yes it's, mm-hmm. you know it's the 10 things that happened before the car seat yeah um so if you can if you can imagine a, a visual of a graph that just sort of escalates, yeah. which is the stress response escalating, and each time there's an incident, that stress gets higher and higher. Yes. And often kids are, you know, I call it they're just like operating on simmer. Mm-hmm. So they're just barely holding it together. And often those are the kids that come home and completely lose it. It's yeah. like, you know, the diarrhea of the mouth of everything that they've been holding in all day at school 
trying to keep it together, and then they dump it all out on on mom and dad when they get home oh. um, because they need that that kind of release at some point. So it's, you know, I'm, I'm not going to diagnose that that's what it is, but sometimes it could be interesting to look at, okay, what's what's gone on the past few days? What's the sleep been like? What was this morning like? What happened at school that day? Or are there things that have led up to that point sure. of, of the breakdown that could be just putting him in a brain state that's primed for um, a big stress response, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think so much of effective parenting is setting your kids up for success and trying to eliminate, well, I don't know if it eliminates even the right word, but you know, helping them to transition well or have the notice of a transition about to happen or things like that. So you are so right. It was not about the seat at all. He just lost a soccer game. So he was already feeling fragile and he's, and he's like, oh, I don't care. I don't care about the soccer game. It's fine. Whatever. I try, you know, whatever. Did you think I did good? Yeah, you did great. Okay. Well, okay. It's, it doesn't matter anyway. And then the seat yeah. thing happened, right? Okay. So I, and we revisited this after he was in a more calm state and we said, it wasn't about the seat. Do you think you were already feeling a little sensitive? Yeah. Were you already feeling bad about the soccer game? Yeah. Okay. So how can we avoid this? Because this is a pattern, right? It's never about the thing that they're blowing up over usually. Usually it is about that that rumbling underneath the surface where they're feeling yeah. vulnerable. And he doesn't like you to be exposed for weaknesses or anything like that. He's a perfectionist. So, so what would you suggest? How can we more routinely incorporate confidence building, stress reducing, coping mechanisms in, in a child like this? Yeah. And there's, there's a lot that that goes into it in mm -hmm. different ways. And I think just um, to take a very common example would be to look at your mornings, mm -hmm. to look at a typical morning. And I think often as parents, we think, you know what, our job is just to get them to the bus stop on time <laughs> or to get them at school on time. And, um, and whatever it takes for that to happen, as long as they're there, great. But imagine being a classroom teacher and you have – you know, 25 kids walk into your classroom and 20 of them are in that alarmed state. Mm. And it's your job to teach them something. And the part of their brain that is at all receptive to learning is completely offline. One of the beauties of the schools program is it gives teachers tools to start their day um, using listening practices, uh, breathing practices that stimulate the prefrontal cortex which essentially brings that part of the brain back online so that the rest of the school day can be so much more productive. Um, they have less behavior issues. They are better able at paying attention. They don't have to re repeat material as many times because they are able to get this entire group of kids in a state where their prefrontal cortex is online and receptive to learning mm. versus a teacher who just jumps right into the information and 20 of the kids are not at all in a brain state to be present and listening. And, and I'm sure we can relate to that as adults. If you've ever walked into a meeting and your mind is completely engaged on something that just happened in the parking lot, are you get Are you getting anything out of that meeting? Are you learning anything? Are you really there? No. So it's kind of getting them present, but then getting back to our job as parents is, I would say the number one piece of advice I would give it to parents is that we have to start with ourselves. Mm. So our stress is contagious. 
And we, the reason is because we have mirror neurons in our brain that reflect the emotions we see witnessed around us. So that's why when we smile at our infants, they smile back at us. That's how mirror neurons work. But when we're stressed and concerned about our work day and in a rush and screaming and yelling at everybody, that stress is contagious to our kids. Conversely, if we can be that calm, positive presence, we can pull them in that direction as well. Mm. So trying to set up a morning routine and ritual that as much as possible instills that calm, present, prefrontal state of mind, for lack of a better word, is going to deliver your kids to, to school in the right state of mind. So that can include things like, um, you know, just look thinking of your morning routine in the same way you think of a bedtime routine, uh, that, you know, avoiding electronics in the morning, giving everybody plenty of time, picking clothes out the day before, having doing the same routine every day. So one of the things that triggers stress for kids is when they don't know what to expect or they don't know what's going to happen next. So knowing exactly when they're going to leave, knowing who's driving them or who's walking them, knowing the the exact order that things are going to happen, all of those things um, create that calm state of mind that kids need to be able to learn. So that's, I think, you know, one thing that we can think of as parents. And then, and then there's also like little practices that we can introduce our kids to, um, breathing practices. I, I talk about when kids are young, really young, one of the first things that I suggest for parents is um, what I call a three-breath hug. So the idea is when they're stressed and overwhelmed and, you know, in the middle of that state, you offer them a three-breath hug. And you simply embrace and you take three deep breaths together. And they may be too upset to breathe with you, but they feel you breathing. Mm -hmm. And they start to learn that they can use their breath to regulate their stress response and their emotions. And just by taking a few deep breaths, we actually bring our sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous systems back into balance. This triggers our prefrontal cortex to come back online. So a simple practice like that that can take 20 or 30 seconds can bring us back to that brain state that we want to be in. I love that. Um, Sorry to interrupt you. My friend whose son was struggling with separation at school and he would cling to her and and it was just a a mess for months and it was not, Mm -hmm. nothing was working it seemed. And I don't know if she found this or somebody recommended it to her, but this was their parting was they came up with this, I don't remember, it was three or five breaths or whatever, but she would squeeze, 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 because it's both the impact of the squeezing, that tension, it's the breathing and that connection. And every single time in the parking lot, they established this was their goodbye and they would do it. And she's like, sometimes he felt like doing it and sometimes he didn't, but he always knew this was part of the morning. This is what he could expect. And he would still go away tearfully sometimes, but he separated he did it. And and he had both the chemical firings that needed to happen. He had that look from his mom that he could do this and that connection. And Absolutely. he did it. So so sorry to interrupt, but yes, I know this works. I know it does. Yeah, and that's that ritual too of sure. him knowing what to expect yes. and what was going to happen. And I think when we can t- teach kids this at a young age – 
it stays with them in different ways. Well, then, you know, they'll learn different breathing techniques that are more developmentally appropriate than a three breath hug. But right. I have to tell you, uh, it was about a year ago, a year and a half ago, my daughter was leaving. She was going on a service learning trip to Peru mm-hmm. and she was going to, she'd never done anything like this before. She was going to be completely off the grid, no contact for two weeks in the Amazon and the Andes. Wow. <laughs> and I was stressed about it and she was stressed about it. And, um, I was taking her to the airport and she's 14 at the time. And as we were saying goodbye and I was trying to hold back the tears, she said, mom, do you need a three breath hug? <laughs> <laughs> and so it sticks with them, you it know, is. and they, I think just kind of little by little, not expecting them to meditate for 10 minutes a day. That's not developmentally appropriate at all, but just introducing these little practices for them to learn to regulate, Mm. to become present, to understand how their brain works. And in my book, I, I have a script where teachers can, or parents can explain the stress response in the brain to young kids in a way that makes sense to them. So when they're feeling overwhelmed and stressed and not quite understanding their behaviors, they have some context to put to it. Oh, this is my amygdala's on fire. This is what I need to do to put it out, to bring that smart part of my brain back. And they can apply these techniques in ways that can be really effective. Kristen, I just want to give you a three-breath hug. This is be- this is so encouraging. This is – there's – I needed this so much today. I know people listening are going to be like, I had no idea this even existed, you know? So A, everybody needs to go by Mindful Parenting. And then you've created Mindful Life. So I, I'm on your website right this second. And if you go to mindfullifetoday.com, what will people find there? So on the Mindful Life Today site, we'll, you'll find information on, I have a Foundations of Mindful Parenting online course. There we have access to our schools program, which is a 38-week curriculum that's great for teachers and for parents is there. Uh, we have a Mindfulness and the Workplace course, which is there, which is about integrating mindfulness throughout your day. Um, it's also a lot about that work-life balance piece. And then I also have a website, which is kristenrace.com. And on that website, you'll find information about uh, my speaking engagements, as well as information on Amoxie Tribe, which is that coaching community to support working moms that I mentioned earlier. So, um, yeah, so lots of different places to go for information uh, in both of those ways. I actually have a book coming out, um, and it's called, and she said, breathe. And it's a story. It's a picture book for kids. Uh, It's meant for parents to read to kids, but it's basically about this girl named Sophie and she goes through her day and encounters all of these obstacles from not being able to find a sock to a bully at school to a problem with homework And she uses different breathing techniques to address all of these different things that happen to her over the course of the day. Mm -hmm. And that can be a really fun way to introduce these practices to your kids as well. Um, That will be on the kristenrace.com site as well. And if it's not out by the time this podcast comes out, it it should be out within the next few months. Yeah, this is coming out in January. When When does that book launch? 
it should it should be here then. <gasps> Yay! Oh, yeah. I'll make sure I'll make sure yeah. it's linked at extraordinarymomspodcast.com. Oh my gosh. Kristen, I am blown, blown away. Okay, so I, I do have a quick question. So a lot of parents are wanting to get involved in their kids' schools, but they feel like they don't have a systematic way to get involved or doing die cuts. I mean, I really like doing die cutting for my uh, kids teachers and things I think it's super fun but some parents just want they want to do more in their kids school so is this something where parents could take this curriculum and teach it in the schools or go in and train the teachers is it set up for that so we they could definitely go in and do lessons with the kids okay and so the only thing you would need to do that is obviously you would need access the training of the curriculum huh? and the way that works is it's it just is dripped out so it gives you a broad overview of the science behind it. And then each week has everything you need. It has a lesson plan. It has a video that you can watch. It has a take-home letter that can go home to parents in the classroom, which explains how each activity impacts brain functioning. Wow. And it's very scientific, which is very important when you're going into public schools. They need to know that there's a science base to this. Yeah. Um, that it's completely secular. And then you'll want to obviously go in and talk to, you know, the teacher, the principal. Um, you can even show them videos of some of the curriculum and, and say, you know, this is feedback from teachers. Uh, this is, is this something that you would be interested in? Because obviously you're going to want their backing, but I think most teachers are looking for all the help they can get, especially when it comes to improving kids' attention and their emotional regulation, because that just makes their life easier. Absolutely. Um, I'm doing this. I'm going to do this, Kristen. I am. Yeah, I oh. hope you do. That would be great. I am And then so in terms good. of training teachers, I should mention that we do have a program to train trainers. Okay. So that's a little bit different than going in and doing it with the kids. But if it's, if you want to go in and teach a whole school through, um, how to do this, then that's something that you should email me about, um, at Kristen at mindfullifetoday.com. And I can set you up with how to get trained to become, uh, you know, a broader trainer to school, to train schools, to train school districts, that type of work as yeah. well. Okay, I'm, I'm going to be doing that because I am so passionate about this. And this is really fundamentally how I parent. And of course, nobody does it perfectly. And we still have yeah. nine and a half year olds having meltdowns, even when we know, even when we know it's not about the seat, right? But the more that we can integrate this understanding into our lives, into our parenting, and the more we can disseminate this information, gosh, I mean, generationally, there's going to be change. And that is so exciting. And there needs to be change because yeah. look at this this world that these kids are growing up in as compared to us. When you look at the access to technology, to media, the 24-7 demands on them to be accessible socially, which I can tell you when you have teenagers is exhausting and stressful, yeah. um, not to mention their crazy schedules. It's It makes sense that mindfulness is so relevant right now because their brains need it so much right now. And this technology isn't going away and the demands on them are not going away. So we've got to start building resilience to all that is going to be placed upon them, you know, in the next, in the time to come. Mm, yeah. And I love how it all just really does come back to, it starts with us. It starts with being Absolutely. more mindful ourselves and practicing these things ourselves. And 
everyone else's responses to us and influence on our lives and impact on us, it shouldn't dictate how we feel, how we operate, what we know to be true, right? And so when it starts with us and we can operate from this mindful, centered, present space, everything else will flow out of out of that. And definitely our kids will pick up on that for sure. Oh, so good. Okay. Tell everyone one more time, where can they find you online to get all this information? So they can find information on a Moxie tribe, as well as the books and speaking engagements at kristenrace.com. Uh, that's K-R-I-S-T-E-N-R-A-C-E.com. And then for the broader programs, workplace program, schools program, Foundations of Mindful Parenting course, which, by the way, is all about starting with yourself (laughs) and how that relates to your parenting. All of that is on mindfullifetoday.com. And those two sites link to each other as well, but that's the most direct way to go about it. And you can also find me. I'm on Instagram. I'm on Facebook under Dr. Kristen Race. Um, Pretty active there as well. Love to engage with whoever wants to to chat about mindful parenting and mindfulness in general. I do. I do. Kristen, thank you so, so much for sharing all of your research and providing all these incredible resources to parents like me who are desperate for them and want to implement them and want to see these tools helping their kids. So, so amazing. On the Extraordinary Moms podcast, I always ask my guests one final question, and it's this. What would you tell your pre-motherhood self? Wow. What would I tell my pre-motherhood self? This sounds so cliche, right? But I would I would tell myself to enjoy every precious moment. Because as hard as it is when you're in those witching hours and you're up all night and it goes so fast. And I remember people telling me this when my kids were young and I was like, are you kidding me? Happy hour's never going to come. What do you mean it goes so fast? <laughs> and now here I am with these teenagers and it was like, and I'm, I'm staring down them leaving the house and it was the blink of an eye. So, you know, whatever you can do in those moments when things are hard to take a deep breath, to be grateful for the opportunity you have in front of you and just create a lifetime of, of simple, perfect moments. Mm, I love that. Thank you, Kristen. Thank you so much for being here and for all the work that you're doing. Thank you. Thank you, Jessica. Thanks so much. So if that doesn't convince you to become more mindful person, I don't know what will. I love the thought of implementing this in our schools, right? At the beginning of this school year, my um, second grader brought home some uh, paperwork and some worksheets that he had done in class focused around growth mindset. And I was elated. More so than bringing home good scores on spelling or math or even reading to know that he is having these growth mindset tools incorporated in his day-to-day is just a life skill that we often neglect. And for our kids to have these tools to fall back on, to believe in growth mindset, to have mindful practices that they can employ when they're feeling stress, right? What a gift to these kids, and it will help them perform better in those core subjects. So I love that Kristen has done such extensive research and 
weren't creating curriculums um, and trainings and everything. I'm going to look more into this myself um, to see what I can do in my kids' schools. But I hope that this will get you thinking of what you can do in your own homes in terms of mindful practices. Thanks so much to Kristen for coming on the show today. If you want to know more about her work and where to follow her online, it's all linked over at ExtraordinaryMomsPodcast.com. If you don't already follow me on Instagram, you can do that at Jessica Dahlquist3 or on Facebook at Extraordinary Moms Podcast. So very grateful for everyone listening today, for sharing the show, for leaving reviews. It makes such a huge difference. And I'm just so thankful to be able to do this podcast and have encouraging conversations with incredible people like Dr. Kristen Race and to learn more and to be inspired to do better in this job and to enjoy it just as it is as well. So thanks for tuning in today and we'll see you next week for another episode with another extraordinary mom. Bye.